Now, just like Eunice, for those who don't know me, I came out of a background of both same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria. So you can see the, the first picture here. I um, was just very boyish, tomboy as a kid, and my parents didn't know that I wanted to literally become a boy. I heard about sex change operations back in the 80s. That's what my plan was to do. I don't have time to get into my whole story this morning, but suffice it to say that God began to work in my life and he transformed me from a woman who was androgynous and uncomfortable in her own body, exclusively attracted to women, desiring to be a man until I was 32 years old. And then God intervened in my life through inner healing and deliverance, a long process, an 11 year process between 94 and 2005. And he absolutely transformed me. I am not who I used to be. And that's the good news of the gospel, no matter who you are and what you struggle with. Transformation is the reality of knowing Jesus Christ. You cannot know the Lord and not be transformed and conformed into his image. Amen? Amen. So if you want to know more about that story, we do have my book is here. We're selling it actually at a discount. Uh, while we're here over the weekend for the conference and we have some copies out there and some have asked about signing which feels really weird to me but if you want me to write my name in your book in a little sentence or something I'll be out there after service and we can we can do that if you want to do that Um, but at any rate we all know the cultural moment that we're in and the lies of culture that we're facing and the pressure that we're facing as, as Pastor Jeff was talking before. And there's a message the Lord has laid on my heart this morning for, for us, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, and how we need to respond in this crucial hour. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just open our hearts to receive, open the eyes of our heart that we would see you as we were singing, that we would see your kingdom come and your will be done in us on this earth as it is in heaven And Lord, that we would surrender and yield to you, to what you're calling us to do, in Jesus' name, amen. The title of my book is Transformation, and the message this morning I want to share with you is Transformation Resisting the Pattern of This World. Because in Romans chapter 12, 2, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. What's the pattern of this world? Well, there's three things I want to address this morning that we are seeing a pattern of in this culture. And sadly, the bride of Christ is being lulled asleep by these lies that are now invading the church. And instead of being transformed, we're being conformed to the pattern of this world. Three things I want to address this morning. The first one is that sexual orientation is inborn and immutable. That's what the world tells you. You're born that way, you can't change. Or whether it's sexual orientation or gender identity, you're born trans, can't change. So you need to embrace your authentic self and we need to affirm your authentic self so you don't commit suicide and everybody can be happy and that's what the pattern of the world is right now. I do wanna let you know that the actual data does not support the fact that if you affirm somebody or don't affirm somebody, they actually become more suicidal. Did you know the data reveals the opposite is true? That if you love someone for who God created them to be, and you help them in walking out wholeness in their life. As one of the participants in my research said, Linda, my my goal in life was never to become straight. It was to become whole. And as Eunice shared in her story, 
she realized when God convicted her, she had an encounter with him. It wasn't even like the same sex attractions and all that. It was, I had become the Lord of my own life. I was on the throne of my life. And there were areas of her heart of brokenness where she began idolizing other people and worshiping created things rather than the creator. And God wants to set those things right in us. And when he does, we don't become more suicidal. We become less. We become whole. We become who he created us to be. So that first lie is that this is, this is all inborn and it's immutable. It cannot change. Second lie, love is love. Love is anything you want it to be. You get to define it. And why does it matter who somebody loves? Just let, let's all just live and let live and be at peace with each other. Because love is love. And why is that a hill, LGBTQ, that Christians have to die on? Why do we have to be the bigots and the jerks? Love is love. Let's just let people love who they want. Third pattern of this world. Love equates to affirmation. If you love me, you'll affirm me. If I tell you this is my authentic self, you will affirm me. If I tell you these are my pronouns, you will use those pronouns because that's what it means to love me. And if you don't, you're a hater and you're a bigot. I just want to let you know, disagreement is not denigration. The world will tell you that it is, but that's not true. Does God ever disagree with you? But he doesn't denigrate you. Thank God. He loves us where we're at in the middle of our mess, but he also loves us enough to not leave us there and to transform us to be conformed to the image of Christ. Now, I want to look briefly at each of these three lies. The first one, that sexual orientation is inborn and immutable. The world doesn't understand spirit, soul, body, so they use fallen constructs to try to explain sexual brokenness. So they use things like the gender-bred person or the unicorn. All this stuff is being proliferated in our public schools. And so with the gender-bred person, for example, we've created these false constructs to try to explain away why do people experience certain desires. And they'll say things like your gender identity in your mind, who you feel like you are, your subjective feeling of maleness or femaleness in your mind is different than your gender expression, how you express yourself to the world as masculine or feminine with your mannerisms and your clothing and your name, your pronouns, all of that. And that's different than your biological sex, the anatomy that God has given you. And that's different than your sexual orientation and whether you're attracted to men or attracted to women or something in between. And this is what the world tells us. You can fall anywhere you want on any four of these spectrum and it's just happen chance. It's just random. And in fact, if you want to choose one of them, go ahead and choose it. And we don't know why some people, why Bruce Jenner, who's this epitome of masculinity in the 70s, this decathlete, Olympic athlete on the Wheaties box when I was a kid, now feels like in his head he's a woman and wants to go by Caitlyn, and yet he's still attracted to women. And we don't know why that happens with Bruce. And Linda feels like a man in her mind, but she's attracted to women instead of men. And we just, you know, there's no rhyme or reason. And the world has created these false constructs and we actually believe it as the body of Christ. We actually think there's something called a sexual orientation. <laughs> and some of you guys think I'm like out of my mind to say there's no such thing as a sexual orientation. I mean, silence in the room. Wow, I feel the tension. It doesn't exist. Do you know we made that up 150 years ago to justify homosexual behavior? There is no such thing as a gender identity. It doesn't exist. It is simply the psychological feeling. What does your mind tell you and how do you feel emotionally about your maleness or your femaleness? It's just a feeling. It doesn't exist. It's a false construct. 
And yet the world would tell you, oh no, these constructs exist, you were born this way, so if you have attraction to the same sex, or you have transgender desires, that's just who you are, there's nothing you can do about it. And now Christians are even saying, well, it's just part of the fall. It's just, you know, if that's how you feel, you are just gonna have to white knuckle it and try not to act on those things until you die. But when you see Jesus, you'll be free. That is not the gospel. Imagine if we said that for any area of struggle in your life. Well, sorry, you're addicted to porn. That's just rough, but you're gonna be addicted to that though until the rest of your life. Just hold on tight and when you see Jesus, you'll be free. Sorry, you're a binge eater. Sorry that you're selfish. Sorry that you're trapped in adultery or greed. That's just the way it is. You're fallen. You're gonna live out of that the rest of your life. But when you see Jesus, you'll be free. What kind of hope is that? That is not the gospel. It is not the gospel at all. And yet, what the world has done is they have taken what the Bible describes as an action. Men who have sex with men. Women who exchange unnatural relations, natural relations for unnatural ones. It's an action. It's something you do with your body. And of course, desires are involved. We wouldn't sin if it weren't fun. If you didn't have a desire to do it, if temptation weren't real, you wouldn't sin. But temptation doesn't define you. Temptation doesn't mean anything except that we live in a fallen world with a God who hates, with a God, with a devil who hates us and wants to destroy us and wants to destroy the concept of male and female altogether because we image our creator, male and female. Jesus was tempted such as we are, yet was without sin. Temptation doesn't define you, it doesn't determine your identity or dictate your destiny. That's good news, that's the good news of the gospel. What the world has done is taken this temptation, this this desire, a deceitful desire, the Bible calls it. Sexual orientation and gender identity are not in the Bible, not because we need to revise the scriptures to catch up to 2023. Not because the Holy Spirit was ignorant 2,000 years ago, just didn't know we would discover these things 150 years ago. It's not in there because the God of the universe did not create you to be discordant in your mind with the body that he gave you. Gender is not assigned at birth. It is designed by your creator who knit you together in your mother's womb. And he has a plan for your sexuality as male or female. And if you find yourself attracted to the same sex, I understand, I have compassion, I totally get it. I know what it's like to be in the body of Christ and like not wanna tell anyone. And as Pastor Jeff said, this is a safe place for you to say, it doesn't matter what you struggle with. We all have brokenness in our lives. We all have struggles. And I discovered the most freeing thing in the world is James 5, 16. Confess your sins one to another and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I don't care what you struggle with. Unless you take what's in the dark and you bring it into the light, you won't be free. But when you take what's in the dark and quit keeping secrets with Satan, it breaks the power of the enemy to keep you in bondage in that area and it brings you into the light and it helps the body of Christ come alongside you and walk you into that transformation and freedom that Jesus died to give you. So all of these things, amen, all these things are not real. They are false constructs where the world has taken an action that the Bible describes, something you do with your body, a sinful choice, a temptation, a desire that we act on, just part of living in a fallen world, in a fallen body with an old nature, and it takes the action and it turns it into a noun. It's no longer something you do with your body, it is now an orientation. It is an inherent part of my identity and who I am and it dictates my identity and determines my destiny. Nope, that's not what the Bible says. Not at all. And yet even in the body of Christ, we are embracing this fallen identity, assuming sexual orientation actually exists, assuming that transgender identities are real, and we are saying things like, I'm a gay Christian. 
And maybe I don't act on the desires because I know the Bible. I know enough to know the Bible says it's wrong, so I'm a celibate gay Christian. I'm telling you, that is not congruent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word of God does not say in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, it says, you were taught with regard to your old former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Deceitful, it's lying to you. The desires are real in my life. The attractions to women, real, exclusively attracted to women at one point in my life. Praise the living God, I am exclusively attracted to men and I'm in the game today, hallelujah. It can change. But at one point in my life, my attractions were only to, I didn't know what an attraction to a man felt like. And it was lying to me and made me feel like I was born this way, I cannot change, and this is just who I am. There's not a shred of evidence scientifically that you're born that way. There's no gay gene, they've never found one. There's not hormonal influences in a brain structure, and I talked about that at the conference over the weekend. There is not any evidence. The, the researchers themselves are saying, you know, there seem, it seems to be maybe there's something in the environment. Our, our, our sexuality is complex. Well, yeah, it is, because we're spirit, soul, and body. I have a spirit, I am a spirit, I have a soul, I live in a body. And my soul is my mind, will, and emotions, and what I think on with my mind will affect my emotions, that will affect my will, and that can even affect my bodily drives and desires. If I were abused as a little girl, as a six-year-old, and I say men are not safe because of the trauma in my soul, that trauma remains in my soul, even when I grow into my teenage years, my hormones kick in, and if men aren't safe, then why would I want to bond sexually with a man? It can affect my drives and desires. And even as Eunice was sharing some of the deficits in her own life and how it skewed her sexuality. Why? Because the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy your sexuality. He hates that you're made in the image of God, male and female. He hates earthly marriage, wants to destroy the nuclear family. Why? Because every earthly marriage points the way to the ultimate marriage of Christ and his bride, the church. (laughs) Marriage is is a message of the gospel in a nutshell. It's beautiful. It's it's a beautiful, sacred icon, and of course, the enemy wants to destroy it. So the word tells us to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. I was being lied to. It was a lie that somehow rearranging the skin on my body to match my fallen mind was going to make my whole world make sense and make me live happily ever after. Uh Uh-uh. No, the answer is not doing that. It is renewing my mind to match the body my creator has given me. So that everything lines up, my mind, will, and emotions align with the physical body that my creator has given me. So as you see in Ephesians chapter 4, it says, put off the old self that's being corrupted by those deceitful desires and be made new in the attitude of your minds. Like Romans 12 too, renew your mind. And then you can put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Do not believe the lie that whatever you're struggling with, I don't care if it's LGBTQ or any other area of brokenness, it feels to your subjective emotions, this cannot change, I'll always be this way, and you're living out of the old self and believing a deceitful lie. It is entirely possible to be made new in your mind and to put on the new self, but I wanna let you know this. The first thing that changes when you follow God's word is not the feelings. We need to step into adulting in our Christian walk. Kids are ones who just live whatever they feel, that's whatever they do. As an adult, you can't do that. You know that. When the alarm goes off tomorrow morning at whatever time and you have to go to your job, you don't feel like getting out of bed. 
And if you live like a kid and go by your feelings, you'll just sleep in and, and you'll lose your employment and your money and your house and your mortgage, right? You adult in the morning and go, man, I don't feel like getting up, but the alarm's going off and I better get up right now and I better go to church, uh, church. I better go to my job and I better make a living because you know that's what you have to do as an adult. You say no to those feelings. You put off those deceitful desires and say, I better renew my mind and get myself out of bed and walk in what I need to walk in right now. We got to do that with regard to the temptations and desires of the old self. The desires don't go away. You still feel like sleeping in. I still felt like I was attracted to women and I had to choose to renew my mind and say, wait a minute, the feelings are real, but the word of God is even more true. And those subjective feelings are subject to change over the course of time through what the Bible calls progressive sanctification. You don't just flip a switch and go from gay to straight or, you know, whatever. And you don't just flip a switch in whatever you struggle with in your life. Not that God can't do that. He can. But typically it's a process of what the Bible calls progressive sanctification. So that's the first lie. Second lie, love is love. Eh, Thank you for playing. You just misquoted scripture. Scripture says... God is love. We have created our own God and we've idolized love and we've made it whatever we want it to be. And you can love who you want and marry who you want and all of that. I'm sorry, gay marriage is not marriage. Not according to God's word. It's not a marriage. It's, it's, God calls it an abomination. Now, I know that sounds really harsh. Abomination is something that God hates. He doesn't hate the person who commits the abomination. He loves us. He died for us. Jesus bled for every single one of us. I committed abominations. Well, so have you. Even if you don't struggle with LGBTQ, the Bible calls lying an abomination. So eh, you're just as guilty as I am. (laughs) Why does he hate lying? Because he's the God of truth. An abomination is something that God hates because it's not congruent with his character and his nature. And if you want to know why the homosexual act and transgender identities are against God's design for sexuality and prohibited in the word and even called sin, well, you have to read my book and I explain the answer why. But it's related to his character and his nature and who we are made in his image. There is a why. It's not just a rule that we don't do it because it's wrong. There's actually a reason. There's a why as to who he created us to be. And so God is love. That means he is God and we are not. And we don't get to define love any way we want it. He is the one who tells us what love is and how we live that out. So 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. There's no pride in love. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking, easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. It doesn't delight in evil. It rejoices with the truth. I will not be manipulated into participating in a known lie and calling you something that God doesn't call you. That's not love. I'm going to rejoice in the truth. Now, I'm going to be as wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove and do it in a way that's compassionate, but I'm not going to compromise the truth of God's word. What is the truth of God's word? 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Did you know there's a heaven and a hell? Did you know there's being united with God and reconciled to him and there's living separate from him for the rest of eternity? That's a reality. Our world doesn't like that message because we don't like binaries. Everything's like nuanced and gray. There's binaries with God. There's heaven, there's hell. There's righteousness, there's wickedness. There's saved and there's lost. And 1 Corinthians says, wrongdoers, if you continue in habitual, unrepentant, repetitive sin, and you refuse to bow the knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you refuse to say that God is God, not love is your God, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. 
Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, slanderers, swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. That's good news, my friend. You don't have to stay in what you struggle with. And the reality is this. The Bible puts the homosexual act, again, look, it's men who have sex with men. It's an action. It's not an orientation. And he puts it in the context of all sorts of sins we're used to seeing people set free from. Anybody ever know somebody greedy? And then they got saved, and now they're the most generous person you've ever met. Anybody know somebody that was sexually immoral, and they get saved, and now they live faithful to their spouse or chaste before the Lord? It's, not, it's normal for us to see people set free in these areas. And the world wants to tell you it's not normal to see somebody set free from LGBTQ because there's an orientation and they're born that way. Not true. You can be set free from any kind of deceitful desire that tempts you and tries to lure you into the old self by the power of Jesus Christ. Now, the interesting thing is the world says love is love. God is love. But when you look at scripture and you look at the angels in Revelation and in Isaiah, it repeats this. They don't go around the throne and say, oh God, your love, your love, your love. Our world is saying that. We emphasize the love, but it's a holy love. And around the throne, the angels forever are going to say, holy, holy, holy. Like we sang, I didn't even know we are going to sing that song this morning. Holy, holy, holy. God is calling us to be holy, to be set apart. Not to identify with the old self and say, well, I'm a gay Christian, but I don't act on it, but I'm a gay Christian. That's not holy. That's adjoining myself even in my identity with something that God says, that's not who you are anymore. That's not holy. Holy means to be set apart and to be transformed and conformed to the image of Christ, to live like God in true righteousness and holiness. So I'm gonna distance myself from what this world idolizes and I'm gonna join with what God's word says is true. 2 Corinthians 3 says, we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. This is what the Christian life is all about. The more you behold Jesus, the more you get alone with the Lord and you spend time with him, you can't not become like him. You can't not love the things he loves and hate the things he hates. And he will give you wisdom as to how to respond in this cultural moment, despite the pressures that we feel. The last lie, if you love me, you'll affirm me. That's not what scripture says. Scripture says this, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. What we're doing in our culture today is we are taking the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, and we're elevating it above the first and greatest commandment to love God and keep his commands. Because we feel the pressure of this world saying, if you disagree with me, you hate me. If you don't affirm my real self, my authentic person, my pronouns, all of this stuff, well, somehow you hate me. No, no, no. I love you enough to tell you the truth about who God created you to be. And some people may not like that, and we feel like, no, but Linda, if I did that, if I went against the cultural grain, I'm gonna lose relationship with all these people that I'm trying to reach, and I'm trying to be salt, and I'm trying to be light, so I, I have to stay there, I have to kind of build a bridge, and I gotta compromise on some things so that I can build a bridge to reach them. Pastor Dale always told me this, what you win them with, you win them to. So if I water down the gospel to win you to Jesus, at which point do I then begin start telling you the truth? 
At which point do I then call you into righteousness and saying no to the flesh, no to the world, no to the enemy, and walking in righteousness and truth? I can't water it down. You have to give people a chance to count the cost. What if Jesus lived that way and said, oh, I can't, I can't offend anybody. I dare not offend the Pharisees, lest they hate me and kill me. <laughs> I dare not offend anybody by telling them the truth. John chapter six, he feeds a bunch of people and he has a huge following. And he says, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And a bunch of his disciples were like, that's weird, we're out of here. And Peter's like, Jesus, we had, this is my interpretation, we had a mega church going. What are you doing? You're sending the people away. And Jesus said, well, are you gonna leave too? Well, no, you have the words of life, we'll, we'll stick around. He was not afraid to lose people. He didn't care how popular he was. He was here on a mission to speak the truth and see people reconciled to the Father. Are you on that mission? Or are you wanting people to be reconciled to you? Because the way we live, we live as if, well, but I gotta build this bridge because they gotta like me. Because if they like me, then they'll like my message. But if they don't like me, they won't like the gospel message and they won't get saved without me, God. I'm guilty as charged. I'm preaching to the choir here. I know this is a little intense today, but like, I don't, I don't know. It's the Lord. <laughs> Rich young ruler comes to Jesus, says, what must I do to be saved? And he says, keep the commandments. Oh, I've kept all of them since I was a boy. Scripture, Jesus looks at him and says, Jesus loved him. Saw him in his sin. He just looked at him and he loved him. And he saw the covetousness in his heart. And what he didn't say was, come on and follow me, you covetous Christian. Why don't you sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Why don't you repent? Why don't you turn away from the old self and those desires, put off those desires, renew your mind, come follow me. And the rich young ruler went away sad because he had many possessions. And then Jesus chased after him and he said, wait, 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 time out, time. I'm, maybe not all, let's do half, let's compromise, you know, because I need you to like me and my gospel. Jesus let him go away sad. He lost someone. Now we don't know what happened to that rich young man. It could be he just walked away forever and he's separated from the Lord for eternity because he wouldn't count the cost of following Christ and he valued this world more than the Lord. It's possible. It's also possible that he was so convicted by what Jesus said, he just couldn't let that go. And there are some scholars who wonder if Joseph of Arimathea, who was the rich man that donated Jesus' tomb in which he was buried, was the rich young ruler who eventually counted the cost and came back and was a radical, generous disciple. It's possible. But Jesus was willing to lose people for the sake of the kingdom because it was not about people liking him. It was about being re reconciled to the Father. Jesus was willing to take a risk with the woman at the well. Oh, you're sleeping with five men. You had five husbands, and the guy you're shacking up with right now is not your husband. And she says, understatement of the Bible. Oh, I discern that you're a prophet. <laughs> <laughs> you just called out my sin. <laughs> now imagine if she got offended and walked away. Who wouldn't get offended when somebody calls out your sin like that? And Jesus looks at her. He loves her. And he said, you know, if you knew who was talking to you, you would ask me for a drink 
because I can satisfy that thirst. You're going after man, after man, after man, after man, because you think following created things are going to fill you, but only your creator can satisfy you. I've got living water. You will never thirst after that again. She could have gotten offended and walked away. She left her bucket at the well, went into the city and said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And droves of people got saved because Jesus didn't give a rip whether she liked him or not or liked his message or not. He was just on a mission to reconcile her to the Father. You have no control over people's response. Are you gonna represent the Lord? Are you gonna be salt and light or are you gonna water it down? Galatians 1 says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I could not, cannot, would not be a servant of Christ. You can't serve two masters. Are you going to live for this world to like you? Or are you going to live on mission to please your father and represent him well? And some people are saying, but Linda, I'm in a, I'm in a job where I have to use the preferred pronoun. And if I don't, they could fire me. I had a friend where they went around the circle and they said, introduce yourself, say this about yourself, and then tell us your preferred pronoun, and then we'll go to the next person. And they turned to my friend who's a believer, and they said, you go first. And she's screaming in her head like, Lord, what do I do? She introduced her name, she said what she needed to say, and she just ignored the pronoun thing and just turned to the next person. And they didn't go after her. They didn't go, oh, wait, time, time, time out. Now, what's your preferred pronoun? Now, they could have done that. But she was as wise as a serpent and as innocent as a dove and said, I'm not playing that game without saying this verbally. I'm not playing the game that somehow my pronouns could change and be something that different than what God assigned me. <laughs> That's God's decision. And she could have had that answer if they asked her later. But, but what if they forced it on her? What if she lost her job? Oh my goodness, what if she lost her job? If she lost her job, that, she probably should share her pronouns because if she loses her job, there's no way the God of the universe could provide another job to provide for her. My friends, if we're not willing to take a risk and lose our reputation in front of other people, even our job, what's gonna happen when your life is literally on the line? No, I'm serious. This issue is gonna be the singular issue that reveals the apostate church in these last days. And if we don't have God putting in us what we need to be able to stand in these last days, we're not gonna make it. If we don't see things through the, the lens of his word instead of our subjective feelings and what other people think about us, you will not be able to endure to the end. And that's why I, I guess it's kind of fiery today. I didn't intend this, but. Remember in Acts chapter four where John and Peter healed the man at the gate called Beautiful? And then the leaders were like, you need to quit preaching in that name, Jesus. And they said, oh, you know, we can't help but speak about the things we've seen and heard. And in Acts chapter four, they go back and they tell their brothers on their release, they went back to their own people, reported all the chief and priests and elders had done, and they cried in self-pity and asked God to consider their threats and tell the religious leaders to stop being meanies. In fear, they watered down their message to make it more acceptable so as not to offend others and avoid further persecution, enabling them to reach more people with a compromised gospel. I'm scared, but I think Christians are reading this Bible today. We're living like this is true. But what does it say? On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, reported all the chief priests and elders had said. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea, everything in them. Now, consider their threats. 
And enable your servants, put in me what I need to speak your word with great boldness. Because I don't have it, but you can do it. Your spirit could be in me, enabling me to speak with even greater boldness, responding in the opposite spirit. They want to cancel me, I'm going to be even louder. And now, Lord, consider their threats. Or stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and spoke boldly. Not because they had it in their flesh. I'm just as scared as you guys. You think because this is like my calling, this is easy for me. This is not, I do not like to be hated. And there's a lot of people that hate me and troll me and all, I do not like it. I don't like rejection, I hate it. And yet the Spirit of God compels me. But I have to get filled up with the Spirit of God. I have to have God put stuff in me so I can do what he's called me to do. And you need the same thing because none of us can stand in our own flesh against the powers of darkness and the forces of this world. My friends, here's the good news. The darker this world gets, the brighter the gospel is gonna shine in contrast. And I see Christians lamenting all the time, oh no, our, our woke world and cancel culture and it's just getting so hard and we can't live for Jesus in the midst of this. My friends, This woke culture is a false awakening. It's a false awakening. Cancel culture? You know what cancel culture is? Cancel culture is secular Pharisees trying to tell you, you have to live perfect, and if you don't, and you don't follow our rules the way we want you to follow them, we will cancel you, we will silence you. And in fact, if we don't like you now in present day, at least in the U.S., what we'll do is we'll go through your social media and your past history and find something from three decades ago that you said in a different time, in a different cultural context, and if you violated our rules that we want you to follow, we will cancel you. And are we going to bow the knee and accommodate and be like, oh, you're right, you're right. I shouldn't say anything. I should blend in like a chameleon. That's what we're doing. We're blending in like chameleons. Rather than being like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who said, that idol of Nebuchadnezzar, you want me to bow down and worship an idol? Your idol that says born gay can't change or your pronouns can change? I'm not going to bow down. You can throw me into the fiery furnace. My God's going to deliver me. And even if he doesn't, I ain't bowing down to your idol. That's how we need to be responding. And I'll tell you what, every time believers in the Bible responded that way, God showed up in supernatural power. Maybe we don't see the supernatural today because we don't need it. Because we're depending on us instead of saying, God, unless you fill me and empower me and embolden me to do what you've called me to do, I'm not going to be able to stand. I'm not going to be able to do it. I got good news for you in the midst of cancel culture. God will never cancel you. In fact, what Jesus did is he canceled all your sins. Past, present, and future. I'm telling you, that's great news to this world that is terrified of being canceled. Jesus will never cancel you. He canceled your sins. So as we close today, and we go back to Romans chapter 12, where it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. And you can begin playing if you have. (laughs) Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We are not to conform to the pattern of this world to those lies we are not to bow the knee and I know it's hard and I know you don't want to be hated and you don't want to be a bigot you know what I bet Jesus felt some of the same stuff as a human being 
but he wasn't on mission to win people to get them to like him. He was on mission to reconcile the world through the cross. And the reality is we're conforming like chameleons. We want to be liked and we fear man more than we fear God. We love the praises and affirmation of people more than we even care about the praises and affirmation of our Heavenly Father. We're biblically illiterate, especially the younger generation. I'm telling you, if you're not in the Word every single day, you're not going to be able to stand in these end times. You're not going to be able to discern the counterfeit from the real. You will live by your subjective feelings instead of what God's Word says. We need God's Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Well, for some of us, what's your soul hearing on a regular basis? If you're not hearing from the, the, the Word, you're hearing from the world. And it's defiling you. You got more Netflix in you and social media in you and TikTok and all the rest than you do the Word of God. You won't be able to stand. We've conformed God to our image instead of being transformed to become like Him. And we're going to close today with a song called Put In Me. And the lyrics are along the lines of, you know, I, don't, I can't do this. And I need you to put in me what I need to stand in these last days and represent you well and to live for your kingdom and not my own. I need boldness. I need courage. I need to be able to put off the old self and put on the new. And I'm preaching to the choir here. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to close with this song. And I want to challenge some of you. Some of you may be really under conviction today, and I hope, that, I hope you are. I hope that's good. And I want to challenge you to sing this to the Lord as a prayer. And you may even want to come to the altar as a, as a symbol of, Lord, I'm putting my life on the altar, and I'm going to live for the praises of God, not the praises of men. And I'm going to leave my chair as a symbol of leaving the old self behind, the fleshly desires, and I'm stepping into the new, and I'm raising my hands, and I'm saying, God, unless you put in me what I need, I won't be able to stand in these last days. And so as we sing this song, sing it unto the Lord, sing it as a prayer. We're going to sing this, and if you want to come to the, the altar and worship as you sing, you can. Pastor Jeff is going to close us out at the end when he feels like the Lord is done doing what he's doing.